This is the Partnership for the Arts Talk Show, where we talk art. This is Victor Gartner, your host of Where We Talk Art. A few evenings ago, I was attending a downtown event in Caribou, Maine, and I heard a great band, the Star City Syndicate. If you don't want to get up and dance when this band is playing, check your pulse. Our guest this episode is the drummer and one of the founding members of the Star City Syndicate, Chris Morton. Thanks for having me. And we will begin our talk with Chris right after a very brief message. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us as we explore the world of art. You can find us on our Facebook page at Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show. Or you can find us on our new website at pftatalkshow.org. PFTA Talk Show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. Welcome, Chris Morton. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Chris is a uh, co-owner of KMH Music Shop on uh, Main Street in Presque Isle, Maine, and well-known as a drummer in the state of Maine. Not sure about well-known as being a drummer. Uh, if I'm well-known as being a drummer, it's not for being a good drummer. It probably is. Oh, it's that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> well, before before the break, I, I mentioned that Star City Syndicate is a band and a very good band, and I, and I want to get to that. But before that, I want our listeners to get to know a little bit about you and your background. So I have a couple of questions for you. So where were you born and where were you raised? Uh, I was born actually right here in Presque Isle, Maine, at, at the local hospital, not that far from where we're standing right now. And then I was raised in Masardis, Maine, which is a very, very tiny town, uh, Masardis, which they actually spelled wrong on the school bus that I took to school all the time. <laughs> so there you go. That's funny. <laughs> Misspelling on a school bus. All right. Did they spell bus correctly? I, I think they did okay on that one. Yeah, that right. one wasn't too bad. And your bio says that you graduated from Ashland High School. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, and when was that? Uh, that was uh, 99, gold class of 99. So you, you didn't live in Ashland, but that's where the high school was? Right, yeah. Uh, Masardis, Squapan, or Scopan, I guess now, um, Portage. There were a bunch of local schools that all sent their kids into the, the school in Ashland. Uh, we didn't have a very big population base. I think I graduated with like 32 other kids. So... Um, Small town, small school. It was, it was a fun experience actually. Uh, my high school band teacher, actually the band teacher that I had from the time that I was in pre-kindergarten, right on up through my senior year of high school, later retired from teaching and started a music store. And when he did, he actually hired me to work for him. And when that store went out of business, it was bought by somebody else and then went out of business in 2012. And we actually wound up opening our own music store. KMH Music, which is what we're standing in right now, actually. So I got to work for almost 20 years with my former school music teacher from Ashland, which was kind of cool. Well, I know who that person is. That's that's Larry Hall. Yeah. And Larry Hall, I mean, a lot of people know who he is. Yeah. And he's a very good musician. He was a very good musician. Yeah, he's amazing. And, and he taught lots and lots of kids yeah. to, how to play. Oh, yeah. 
So would you say that he was just your music teacher, or do you think he was also a mentor for you? Oh, absolutely a mentor, and, and a second father to me personally, actually. Um, one of the best things I think that we ever let, that he ever let us talk him into, I guess. Uh, he let us put his name in KMH Music. He didn't want his name attached to it, but we all loved him so much that we, we stuck his name on the sign, and we kind of like to think that going forward we're, we're honoring him just by keeping the store going. But, no, he was an amazing man, a uh, philanthropist, repair guy, insanely talented on, on a number of levels, but just also a really good, solid, down-to-earth musician who um, lived to try, to try to bring music to other people and to try to get other people to experience the joy that you can find playing music with your friends. Uh, and I also know that he was uh, a scoutmaster for the Boy Scouts of America. Yeah. And uh, he had two sons that became Eagle Scouts. Yes, yeah. Yeah, one of them is actually in the band, Joel, yeah. That's right. Yeah, Joel. You say that you came from Misardis, right? Now, yep. what would you say the population of Misardis is? Since I left, four. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, two, three hundred. It's, it's pretty small. That is small. Does yeah. it have any traffic lights? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. No All right. So it is, it is small. Yeah, no traffic lights. No traffic lights. Okay. And what about Ashland? Is it how, how much bigger is Ashland than Masardis? Oh, it's it's huge. We have one traffic light in Ashland, so. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't been in Ashland in a long, long, long time. I guarantee it hasn't changed much. All right. <laughs> so you took your music lessons from Larry Hall when he was the, the music teacher for the school system. Yeah. So at the beginning, were you a drummer? Yeah, I, I always wanted to play drums, actually. I was only four or five years old when I started trying to steal my mom's Tupperware uh, in my old Lincoln Logs and trying to build my own little drum sets and just bang around on them. And finally, my parents got sick of me stealing my mom's Tupperware and bought me my own little piece of junk drum set that I had for years and years and years. And from there, it just kind of steamrolled into bigger and bigger and louder drum sets. Better drums, hopefully? Louder, yeah, a little better, mostly louder. <laughs> <laughs> my, my first instrument I started in fourth grade was the trombone. Yeah, nice. And and my arms were not yet long enough to <laughs> reach all the way out there for the fourth for the lowest position. note. We rented an instrument. We didn't buy it. And my mother wasn't really that supportive of my playing a loud instrument. She would make me go into the attic of our house. <laughs> and in the summertime, I'm telling you, it was it was like a sweat box. Yeah. <laughs> So I would start backing off from practicing, and she wouldn't say it. She never complained. <laughs> but one day, one day during supper, my father says to me, Victor, are you still practicing that trombone? I said, yeah, I am. He goes, how often? Every day. And how long? About half an hour. She said, all right. So after dinner, I went right upstairs in the attic <laughs> took out the trom to take out the trombone to practice. I can't find the trombone. I can't find it. I go downstairs. I go, Dad, the trombone is missing. Because yeah, I know. I brought it back two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know why he didn't let me have it right then and there for lying to him right, right at the beginning. But he, he, he let me slide on that. And I didn't do that very often. All right. So who do you play with besides um, the Star City Syndicate? 
Uh, you know, the funny thing is, uh, I used to have a couple different bands around with different musicians, but over time, especially with the age of COVID, a lot of them kind of dropped off. And now I, I'm still in three or four different bands, but they're all made out of subsets of the syndicate. There's a jazz combo that has a couple of the horn players and the bass player from the syndicate. We're the, um, what are we? We're the Aroostook Jazz Combo or something. All right. A really horrible name, but um, it something enough of a name that we insinuate it. It insinuates what we do enough that we can get paid for it. And then uh, there are two other guys, two of the frontmen of the syndicate, Brian and Doug, who are in a band with myself and, again, the bass player. Um, we don't have a name yet. We come up with a new name every time that we practice, but we played out a couple places, and that's kind of fun. Now, you have an association somehow with Common Crossing. Yeah, actually, those guys that I was just talking about, Doug and Brian, um, that's their band, and then lately they've started using our bass player too, John Simonoff. When their uh, founding bass player can't make it up, he lives about four hours south of here, and he's not always yeah. Able that to, makes it difficult. Yeah, to come up and hit like a two-hour gig that pays thirty-five dollars, and you know, <laughs> yeah. So they uh, borrow our bass player sometimes. So, but originally you weren't the drummer with that band, right? Common Crossing. Yeah, no, that's not something I'm involved in, I, except for I go to listen and cheer and, and yell free. Bird. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's what I do <laughs> when they say this is our last number you know and, and people start settling down and they're getting ready to go home I'm up there calling they're taking apart the issues I'm calling Freebird <laughs> you, they always look up like who is this idiot <laughs> oh jeez yeah <laughs> so how how did you you were playing with uh, Brian Mosier and Mark Shaw one night the three of you you had a gig and I think it was Brian who came up with an idea. Yeah, we were between songs. What had actually happened, actually, it was sort of a pickup band. There were, Mark was the one who kind of instigated it. Uh, he brought um, a couple of his friends, and then he tapped me to play drums. We, uh, we worked together on a couple projects. So we all got together in the park to play a free show, and we were just kind of coming up with songs and playing our way through them, uh, to the point that we hadn't actually figured out endings. And so whenever a song would get kind of long in the tooth, we'd all kind of look around at each other in a panic, and then somebody would try to lead us into, uh, into an ending, and sometimes it worked and sometimes not. <laughs> But it was fun. We were between songs, and uh, Brian was sitting not that far away from me. And he leaned over and said, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to play some of this Motown stuff with a horn section. And I said, we should put a band together. That was circa 2010, I think. And then we agreed that we would, and then didn't for six years. Right around 2016, um, I realized that I was in this unique position where I owned my own music store, which makes for a nice rehearsal space, and where I happen to know a bunch of school band teachers who could play all of the horns. I knew a bunch of rhythm guitar players and, and just different odds and ends of people. So I called Brian and we talked about how much fun it'd be to, to start this weird kind of Motown band. We figured we'd play once a year in the park, you know, for free. Just we didn't think there'd be any call for it past that. And so it all started actually with messaging the bass player, John Simonoff. I still say that the syndicate didn't become a reality right up until John said yes. I wrote to them with this cockamamie plan and said, hey, so we really want to do this Motown band, but we need someone to write out scores for the music Ooh, teachers, yes. and we need a really good bass player, and is this anything that you think you'd be involved in? And it's probably never going to pay, and probably nobody will ever come to see us. It'll just be for fun. Maybe we'll play once a year for uh, less people in the audience right. than who are in the band. And luckily, <laughs> John actually said, yeah, sure, you know, why not? I'll give it a shot. Um, and we still talk about that today. Like neither of us have any idea how it, this came to pass. It's it's pretty cool what it's become. But we scheduled the first rehearsal, and uh, most of 
the people who are in the band today, that's who showed up, actually. I think we started with 12, but out of those, out of the people who showed up, all but maybe two of them are still in the band today, which is kind of cool. That is amazing. Yeah. So, but 12 people in a band, that creates a certain amount of problem because you all have to be able to be available mm. when you need to play. You all need to be available when it's time to rehearse. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff to move and set up. Oh, yeah. And as you, as we were saying earlier before we started recording, which is some venue will say, come and play, but their stage is like 10 feet by 8 feet. Yeah. So you can't play there. Right. Yeah. We have that argument with promoters a lot. We'll have someone who wants to stick us in their bandstand or, oh, we're going to put you in this corner of this room. And we always say, well, there are 18 of us now, so we can't really fit there. Well, you can fit 18 people in that corner. And our standard rebuttal is not if we're all trying to play the trombone at the same time. And it's fun to watch them try to think their way through that. And, ah, ah, crap. You know? So it does make us uh, a little bit more exclusive, I think, in that you can't mm -hmm. go anywhere to see the band. You have to go to some place that has a massive stage and, and you know enough power that they can run all the speakers and things. Hey, you're going to be playing at a place pretty soon that has a massive stage. Uh, yeah, actually, we're playing the Northern Main Fair on Thursday night. And then where else are we? I think after that, we're at the Acadian Festival that has a really big stage. I think that stage is like 30 by 20 or something. All right. Yeah. Now, is there a way for listeners to to stream some, some of the music that either the whole band plays or individual members of the band when they're doing their own music and their own songwriting, that kind of thing? Not really. We don't get into a lot of that. Um, Brian Mosier, who is one of our singers and our guitar player, um, amazing musician. He's on SoundCloud and I think Spotify. He does some original stuff. And then John Simonoff uh, is out there somewhere. I think he's also on Spotify. He does some original recordings. So I think that's it for the availability of original music. As far as streaming our stuff, we, uh, we're not on Spotify or anything like that. But we like to go Facebook Live at gigs sometimes just to try to capture the general chaos of the gig there's something that happens at live shows that you can't ever seem to replicate on tape um there's that energy you know and there's mm -hmm. again the right. chaos <laughs> well, how, well how does somebody know that that's going to happen yeah do you have like a newsletter or or something like category of events under your facebook page yes for the group yeah we always try if you uh, find our page on facebook actually just star city syndicate i think there's only one of us um probably because that's all that the world can handle. Um, if you go there, we always try to have a calendar of events. And if you log in right around the time that we're going to be playing, sometimes Brian or one of the other guys in the band will uh, throw us on Facebook Live, if we remember to and if there's proper bandwidth. Oh, yes. That's an issue. I've been, I've been realizing how important that is while I've been up here. Yeah. I've been having a hard time. You have a large horn section. To me, it's a very large horn section. I'm going to estimate that you had six people in your horn section. Well, actually, I think we have four saxophones, and then we have three trumpets and two trombones. But the fun part is that because we have so many friends who play instruments, we never know who's going to wind up back there. The other night, we had two trumpets at the start of the show, and then four trumpets in the middle. And then we're back down to two by the end of the night. <laughs> two guys were in the audience and walked up and played with us. Um, trombone, sometimes it's like that. We'll rope another music teacher into playing with us. But yeah, usually the horn section, if it's running full tilt, then we have nine or ten people in the horn section. Wow. It's a lot of fun. What kind of music do you as a, as a band generally wind up playing? How would we describe the kind of thing that you guys do? It's, it's hard, actually. Um, when we started out, we were a Motown band. 
but we kind of deviated away from that. We kind of added in some songs, just like, like a song by the Foo Fighters. And then I think there's a song by Foster the People. We've leaned into other songs just for fun. We do a cover of Come On Eileen, like a ska punk cover. Um, basically, it just kind of comes down to the individual taste of the band. We'll have someone go, I really like this song. Let's throw horns in it. And the next thing that we know, we're doing a Hollow Notes song, you know? You know, I was going to ask that in particular. Yeah. Because I'm a Hall & Oates fan. Do you do any of their songs? Yeah, we do Rich Girl. Um, we From their first album. Yeah. Yeah, we just Abandoned added that. Luncheonette. So that's great. So who writes the scores? Usually it's John Simonoff, our bass player. And um, every now and then we'll source a score from somewhere else. Like we'll buy one online or something. But uh, our favorite scores and the best ones are the ones that John does. He's able to pitch them to the band, and he has a really good grasp on what works and what doesn't. There have been times when we've tried really complicated scores, and we're not a very complicated band. <laughs> John has a really good grasp of, of what you can throw in the second set that's going to sound good, but you can still hit the notes, you know, deep in the second set. Mm -hmm. He's good like that. Now, you have a couple of guys who are up front in the band. We'll call them front people, all right? Yeah. And uh, one of them was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. He's kind of a husky guy. Doug, uh, yeah. And, he, and boy, he puts 110% in when he sings a song. He's got a yeah. lot of soul. So what, what is his name again? His name's Doug. Doug Cronkite. Doug Cronkite. Yeah. Does he do any singing songwriting uh, on his own outside of the group? No, actually. So the funny thing with Doug, too, he's uh, a drummer, actually. Uh, he's the drummer no for kidding. Common Crossing. So when we tried to put this band together um, way back in 2016, I was talking to Brian about it. Brian said, if we do a Motown band, we have to involve Duck. And as a drummer myself, I didn't really want to share the drum set with anybody else, but I really like Doug. He's a nice guy. So I said, okay, cool. We'll figure it out. So at that first rehearsal, I had a set of congas set up off to the side, and um, we decided to swap off. So on the first song, Doug played drums. I think the song was Soul Man or something. So he played drums. I played congas. I don't play congas. I tapped them. It didn't sound all that great, but whatever. It gave me something to do. Mm -hmm. The second song that we did, I think it was Hold On, I'm Coming or something, and um, we swapped off. I played the drums, and this time Doug played the congas, and he was just all over them. It was amazing. He's weaving in and out. So we finished the song, and the whole band looks at him and we're like, holy crap, Doug, you're amazing. How long have you been playing the congas? And he checked his watch, and he said, three minutes and 52 seconds. It's the first time he'd ever touched them. But he was amazing. amazing. Yeah, so after that, uh, there was one night we did a song, and Anthony, our amazing lead singer, um, it just it didn't fit him. The key wasn't really right for him. He didn't really know the song. So Doug said, I'd like to take a whack at it. I'd like to sing this one. And we all kind of looked at him and went, okay, because we didn't really know Doug could sing. And mm. holy Doug can sing. And it's great. His personality is more kind of uh, upfront, in-your-face rock and roll. And yeah. so it's nice because Anthony is a really great, is great singer, great voice, great range, great phrasing. And he can do some of the more complicated stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we have Doug, who's just like punchy in the face rock and roll. More raw. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, they actually have a podcast. Dude, Brian and Doug have uh, the O'Brien and Doug podcast, where a lot of times they'll talk about their musical adventures. So if you're ever bored and want to look them up, it's it's a good time. Doug's great. Well, that's a good name. Yeah, <laughs> it works well. <laughs> now, Anthony, you mentioned his name just a moment ago. Yeah. He's, he's the person that was doing a lot of the singing a few positions away yeah. from Doug, right? Yes, so, yeah, so he's amazing. I couldn't pick, figure out if one of them is supposedly really the lead singer you know, officially 
or not because they were both singing a lot of songs. Yeah. So uh, what's the scoop there? Anthony is the lead singer. We, okay. we say, if you asked Anthony, he would say he's one of the lead singers because he's that kind of guy. Okay. But um, generally, if we do a song, Anthony gets first whack at singing it. Um, however, given the stuff that we do in the range, uh, rather than kill his chops night after night after night when we play, we like to break it up and pass out some songs to other people so that he can take a minute, rest, you know, do some backing vocals, stuff like that. So Anthony's by far, you know, I was about to say our most talented singer, and that'll get me in trouble because they're all super talented, actually. But Anthony's an amazing singer. Um, he's our lead singer, and then everybody else kind of fills in around him. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our audience, we are going to take a short break. I think uh, Chris and I are going to practice some pentatonic scales or something for a while, <laughs> and we'll be right back. This is B.A. Wyckoff, artist, and I listen to Where We Talk Art. I'm talking with Chris Morton, co-owner of KMH Music Shop on Main Street in Presque Isle, Maine. Chris, how did you uh, get into this music shop business? Back when I was a sophomore in college, uh, my former music teacher, Mr. Hall, that we talked about earlier in the podcast, uh, he called me up and offered me a job, actually. I was working at Walmart at the time in the shoe department, which I really hated. <laughs> I have no passion for shoes or Walmart. Um <laughs> And he actually, so the funny thing is, he just wanted somebody honest to watch the cash box, which wow. is funny now, considering that this has become my life, you know, but uh, I started working for him. And as a drummer, I didn't know much about some of the other instruments, but he taught me a little bit about clarinets and saxophones and trumpets and things like that. And then eventually uh, the store started to get bigger and I was brought on as a, as the retail manager, actually, I went full time and I had Graduated from college with an English degree that I haven't used since. It's fun to have, but uh, just looks good on the wall. And we worked for this store called Northern Kingdom Music. They uh, they owned the little store that that we ran. Uh, we worked there uh, for about 12 years until 2012 when they went out of business. Actually, the parent company went out of business. And then can I ask why? Yeah, um, the guy who owned the business had treated it just basically as a business investment. He had no passion for music. Oh. And then uh, he was in his mid to late 70s, I want to say. Oh my. He finally kind of hit a point where uh, the economy wasn't doing so well. And, and rather than try to sink more money into the store, into the business and turn it around, he said, ah, I'm just going to cash my chips. He made the money that he wanted out of it. And so he just decided to, uh, to close up shop, fire the employees and sell off the remaining inventory. At that time, I was able to negotiate a deal with our landlord, and we started our own store. I started my own store anyway, and there were three guys who had worked at Aroostook Music, that store that had been owned by Northern Kingdom Music, the store here before. And so all three of us went in on, on this. We all started working here. There was Larry Hall, and then myself, Chris Morton, and a guy named Randy King. So we called it King Morton's Hall of Music to utilize all three names, and because we're horrible at coming up with names... <laughs> And uh, it stuck, actually. It's kind of a long name if you use all of those names. Yeah, we like to stick to KMH. That and I have a lot of people who go, King Morton, no, you're kind of stuck up. That's not it. <laughs> I, am, I get it. I am really glad that Randy's last name was an idiot, so it's not like Idiot Morton's <laughs> Hall of Music, although that probably fits better. <laughs> and now, here in this store, it came in this location, which I knew as a jewelry store yeah, years ago when I lived in the area. So um, when did you transform this store into whatever it was into a music store 
It started low-key in 2000. Um, we moved in here uh, back when it was owned by Northern Kingdom Music. They leased this space for us, and when we moved in, they still had jewelry cabinets built into everywhere. There were hmm. mirrors everywhere. It still looked very much like a jewelry store. And then over time, year by year, we would just take out a cabinet and then put in some slide wall and then take out you know, um, the diamond displays, which unfortunately didn't have any diamonds in them. It kind of sucked. And we'd put in like a guitar pedal display, things like that. And right. Then over the course of 20 years, this happened. All right. And now in this store, what kind of services do you offer? Uh, we rent and sell a lot of musical instruments. We do a lot of repairs. We started doing lessons a couple of years ago, and that's really taken off. Um, we offer school band rental instruments. You were talking about how right. you rented a trombone. We do that, too. Um, try to do a little bit of everything just because uh, we're the only music store in town. So you have to do a little bit of everything, I think, to, I to think keep so. customers' needs met. Yeah. And what do you like about this business? Oh, so much. Um, I think for me, the biggest appeal was that I got to work with Mr. Hall uh, right up until his passing in 2018. Um, and we were really close. Randy is my best friend, actually. So it's great to get to work with him every day. It's the people that you meet. It's getting to form a band, you know, with all of your best friends and practice in this place. It's nice to run my own schedule. It's really nice, especially just to see people as they progress in music, like that kid that gets their first guitar. It's fun to watch him get his second guitar and then join a band and then see it take off and become a real part of his life. Mm. It's an honor to be able to be a part of that. Yes, I would think so. Cause I, you know, I worked in school systems and it's, it's always such a good feeling when you see students that are making progress, students that have real interest yeah. and kind of a thirsting for more. Yeah. Feed me, feed me, you know, that kind of thing. There must be some challenges associated with this business also. Yeah, uh, it's hard, especially in the day of the internet. There are a lot of people who are enticed by a shiny picture on Amazon. So when they go to buy a drum set, they're just going to click the nice shiny image and get a $150 piece of junk rather than coming to a music store to check out something that's going to cost them a bit more, but it won't fall apart the second time that you hit it. Um, we lose a lot of business to places like Amazon, um, unfortunately, which is kind of hard. We a lot of times we'll pick it up eventually when people bring in their broken drum set to us to, to try to fix or something. Oh, but yeah. It's, it's hard to compete in the age of Amazon and, and nice shiny objects online. Let's say a kid comes in here with it, you know, his or her parents and says, Oh, my child wants to learn how to play a clarinet. They don't know anything about a clarinet. The kid doesn't know anything about a clarinet. How do you help them pick out, something to rent and and give them some advice or help them in some way yeah uh, we're lucky in that usually when that happens a music teacher has already been talking to them so they've kind of given the kids some guidance based on their knowledge of that student like they're going to know that student better than we would in, in most instances so there will be recommendations there but if they come in dry and they haven't talked to a music teacher yet we take some time and we get to know them and, and figure out what their budget might be and what their playing goals are going to be and then figure out either a program or, or a purchase that works best for them mm -hmm. now if somebody comes in with a request for an instrument that's more unusual, like an oboe, yeah. let's say, or uh, a, a viola instead of a, a violin. What, what do you do? Yeah, we're lucky. Um, we have a bunch of different sources that we can get those things from. We have vendors, uh, and we're actually, there's uh, a bigger music store downstate that we're 
uh, I'm really good friends with the owner, and a lot of times we'll just trade inventory back and forth. Wow. He does a lot more of the upper-level school band instruments than mm-hmm. I do. Um, I can order a tuba from a couple different places, but if I get one through him, he can advise me on the best tuba to get, and he's going to set it up before it gets here. So um, we try to work with other music dealers in the state of Maine and, and try to try to keep a good network that way. Um, it's especially nice just because I don't know a lot about some things like oboes and tubas, and it's really nice to have other resources that I can contact besides myself, things like that. Right. So you do repairs yeah. yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't do school band instruments. Actually, we have a very talented uh, school band teacher, actually, who does a lot of our repairs for us. What about string instruments? Yes, yep. I do string instruments and percussion. Not that there's a lot to percussion, but uh, you know, it's usually skin tacked over a drum, uh, over a log. <laughs> it's not all that complicated. If you hit it and it makes noise, you're done good. Uh, I do those, but uh, we do a lot of string repair stuff. Yeah. Well, if somebody wants to come here and check out your store, what what are your hours of operation? We try to keep it simple. We're ten to five Monday through Saturday. But we can do later by appointment, too. There are a lot of times when customers will call us and go, hey, I'm out of work at 5. I'm 10 minutes away. Can you hang out? And yes, we absolutely can. So uh, you can also find us on Facebook just because that seems to be the easiest place for us to uh, to update certain things. Or kmhmusicshop.net. That's our official website. And we have some of our products online listed for people to check out. All right. kmhmusic.net. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've covered a lot of bases. You know, before before we, we close up, I have to say that my wife, who's like my um, promoter, <laughs> she talked to a couple of people that she's still friends with. And uh, one of them is uh, Linda Brown, who lives yes. up in uh, Madawaska Lake. Linda's great, yeah. Uh, and uh, she said, oh, that Chris, he is the nicest guy. He'll spend <laughs> time with you. You don't feel rushed. He gives you advice. So, you know, that was a, a great thing for her to say, totally unsolicited. Yeah, that was really kind of her. Linda's a sweetheart. I like yeah. her a lot. She's a good now, person. My, my wife, when she, she and I were dating, she was very good friends with Gail Chandler, who later became Gail Gibson. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. And she said, she said to me, when you see Chris, bring him a chocolate chip cookie <laughs> oh. and she said there's a story oh. associated with this so you, you you have to step up to the mic here and tell us the story about the chocolate chip cookie oh, thing. that makes my day um <laughs> so we've talked about larry hall um yes. one of the things that he always used to do part of his philanthropic philanthropic there we go endeavors uh a lot of times a kid would come in and they would have an instrument that was just beat to snot uh, mm-hmm. and it would need a lot of repair work, uh, yeah. and he would do it for them for free. He would know their situation. He'd know that they couldn't afford a new one, so he would always fix the instrument for free, and when they'd say, well, how much do I owe you? He'd go, a chocolate chip cookie, and it became kind oh. of like a running gag, you know, a chocolate chip cookie repair. I got it. Yeah, after he passed away, there were a bunch of us who were close to him, um, and we wanted that to keep going, so we uh, decided to hold a fundraising concert, kind of in memorial and in honor of Mr. Hall, and because we missed him, you know, he played with the syndicate for two years and this we talked to the syndicate and said would you guys do a free concert at the local university and we'll see if we can raise some money we'd like to start something like a fund just to cover some repairs or something and the band said yes and we worked something out with umpy so we could use the place and we it was funny because we weren't sure what to expect for a crowd i think the auditorium holds 400 people 
mm. a little more than that. And most of our concerts, we'd ran like 150 to 200 people. That night, it was packed to standing room capacity. And they wow. said it was the most people who had attended an event there since they'd done Billy Graham Crusades in the 1970s. They'd telecast Billy Graham or something like that. Wow. So um, it was something. Uh, we raised like $6,000 that night. And so there's a Larry Hall Memorial Committee and we have what we call the chocolate chip cookie fund. So go. even just about a month ago, we had a kid come in and uh, they had brought in a guitar for us to restring. And the kid had some behavioral issues, but they were getting really into the guitar. They were, I'm going to say like 12 or 13 years old. And the guitar they had brought us to be restrung was just horrible. I mean, I didn't want to touch it. You know, mm -hmm. they found it. Somebody had given it to them, but it wouldn't play in tune and things like literally fell off it if you played it for a couple minutes. Oh my. So they wanted it restrung and uh, the social worker who was with the kid, she said, listen, whatever it costs, I'll pay for it out of pocket. Um, just will you please put new strings on it? And so while I tried to start to restring it, the kid was walking around the store and he was looking at all these nice new shiny guitars. Oh, you yes. know, and, um, and he said something about, oh, this one plays so much better than my old one. And he was right. His old one wasn't even playable. So, I very quietly sent a couple texts to the other members of the Larry Hall Memorial Committee, and they gave me the okay. So I walked over to the wall and just took down this guitar that he was looking at and then grabbed an amplifier to go with it and then grabbed a cable and set it on the counter and said, your guitar's all done. Well, what do you mean? Someone just bought you this guitar, and it was great. I mean, he just about that fell over. awesome story. Yeah, it was great. It's chocolate chip cookie fun. People raise that money for us to do stuff like this, and, and we're honored to be able to pass that on, um, especially in Mr. Hall's name. But that chocolate chip cookie makes my day. That is great. I wish I had met your friend, Mr. Hall. He was an amazing guy. He sounds like he was. Well, Chris, we've had a good talk, and it was such a pleasure to be able to have this time with you. And I think that you might have inspired some folks with our conversation that we That's had great. today. I hope so. So people, if you're interested in learning more about this store, go online, find it on Facebook. And uh, remember listeners, music stores are great things for communities to have. And you're not going to have one if you just keep on ordering online. Now, we need to take a look at our communities on Main Streets and see how many empty stores there are. And there's a way to turn this around. You know what it is. At the end of my, end of my lecture. Until we talk again next time, folks, be well. Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show. 